0: We are building. We are building. Welcome to the Build Community Through Love podcast. I'm the host, Dr. Joe Daniels, and we are here today for episode ten. Episode ten. Woo! Milestone for me. Uh, just you know, getting to ten has been has been a great journey, man. We've been been talking to some amazing people on some amazing journeys. Uh, just you know, continue to impact community, continue to build community in their own space man and this is this has been a great ride so we're at 10 we're at 10 so i had to bring it all the way back to uh to, to the, the the first guest uh my dad reverend dr joseph w daniels jr uh he's here to 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 bless us on episode 10 and just keep the conversation going uh you know he's a mentor of mine he's my dad he's he's a he's just he's a guidance counselor he's everything i, I could ever have asked for in a father so uh, but he's just so wise. Has so much information uh, to continue to just uh, impact all of us. And so, I wanted to bring him back on for this milestone occasion, episode number ten. And then we just get to talk about some cool things. We can talk about affordable housing and very expensive uh, markets, very expensive areas. We get to talk about you know, you know how communities should be uh, positioning themselves to assist people who are who are leaving prison and and, and coming back into society and finding ways to allow them to be positioned to thrive. Um, And just even talking about just finances in general and how people should begin uh, 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 working to become financially whole. Again, finding ways to get into a position and a situation so that you have an opportunity to thrive in this country and in this world. And so I want you guys to uh, kick back, man. If you're driving, enjoy this. Uh, If you're at home, uh, while you're washing dishes, whatever you're doing, man, this is just a great uh, uh, moment of just you know great information just to know what's going on um, and continue to impact your community because we are building. So without any further ado, let's hop into this episode. We're going to start off with Pastor Daniels introducing himself and letting him know, letting you guys know who he is, um, and then we're going to get into
1: it. So here we go. Well, I am honored and humbled to be back with you, my son. I think you're doing a fabulous job uh, with this podcast, and I'm excited. I've been following you with it. I think you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, As you said, my name is Joseph W. Daniels, Jr. Uh, I serve as uh, pastor of the Emory Fellowship, uh, as as you said, United Methodist Congregation in Washington, D.C. I've been the pastor there for 28 years uh, this past uh, July 1st just a few weeks ago was the anniversary congratulations um, thank you thank you thank you thank you uh, I'm honored it's been a wonderful marriage between pastor and people we've been able to do a lot uh, for a church that's uh, only 400 membership uh, we've been able to do an awful lot one of which major uh, uh, efforts uh, last year we cut the ribbon and opened the building on the 99 unit affordable rental housing facility. Uh, wrapped around our congregation, our church, which was uh, renovated, and uh, also we have commercial space, all called the Beacon Center, uh, all uh, geared toward uh, providing affordable housing and opportunity for people who were being displaced uh, or threatened with displacement from the District of Columbia, uh, as well as people moving from homelessness to permanent residency. So we're very excited about that. Um, also engaged a lot in home ownership, uh, which is the next phase of what we're doing, uh, workforce development, particularly with persons returning from prison, uh, and uh, we're looking at the whole issue of food insecurity. So excited about what's happening in our ministry. Uh, we're growing. Uh, we're still building on a number of things, but we're in the game just trying to make people's, uh, help people uh, to live a whole life and to uh, help people's reality be stronger than and sometimes it is
0: that's fantastic, and because I know you I know that whole is an actual acronym, and you're building systems to uh, to to create a a, a full um, just to use the word again system of wholeness so if you can articulate what whole means and in, in its fullness
1: sure so so uh, the Greek word for salvation uh, is the word sozo, not bozo but sozo. Um, <laughs> And that word sozo in the Greek literally means to be made complete, to be Mm -hmm. healed, to be made whole. And so when you look at at a whole person, when you look at the whole person, when you look at um, what makes a a woman or a man whole, there's a physical element, there's a mental and emotional element, there's a spiritual element, a relational element, and there is a financial element. You've got to pay attention to all of those elements because they all go into helping somebody become whole or to be whole. Mm-hmm. I often, uh, I often have felt that um, the church, who is uh, the 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 entity that is 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 been uh, charged by God through Jesus Christ to to share and to and to offer this gift of. Salvation to the world through through the, obviously the gift of salvation offered us through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. and Oftentimes we've only focused on one aspect of that wholeness, and that's been the spiritual aspect. But I can teach Bible to you all day, son. And if you're hungry, <laughs> you know, you, yeah, you're like, yeah, I need I'm something to eat. Okay, I need something to eat. Right. Um, or or if 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 you've got something to eat, but your finances are all jacked up, and I'm not helping you understand how you can be financially whole, mm-hmm. then I'm not fully helping you be complete and, and I'm not fully providing the healing that you need. So so the mission that we've been about, we believe is the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. And that is to, to help people to have life and to have it to the full, which means a sense of wholeness uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and financially.
0: For sure. And so I've been doing, uh, I guess, a little bit of research on my own. I like to I, I, I really like watching documentaries um, and, and I have to I have to make sure that I watch them. But but also knowing, you know, as as a Ph.D. that even documentaries have bias. And so just also trying to make sure that, you know, I can sift through and figure out what's facts or what's being used to try to create a certain narrative or agenda. Uh, in that, like using that platform. But I was able to just kind of get a basic understanding as to what um, affordable housing or like was way back when they be first began, mm-hmm. right? So, way back when, um, or subsidized housing, back when these things used to be for white folks going, coming either, either coming back from war, it was going into the depression. And it needed, yeah, yeah yeah and so people needed a place to stay and so they were providing these subsidized housing projects um which were pretty much these vertical buildings that provided you know great quality living uh for middle class white folks um so they had a place to stay mm-hmm. and to make a long story short which always seems to make for a longer story right that phrase oh, sure. but <laughs> You know, people did not have cars because if you couldn't if you couldn't afford a place to live, then you you typically didn't have a car or a vehicle. And way back then, they didn't have mass transit like they do now. Right. And so people worked in walking distance from where they lived. Right. And so as they began making places like Levittown and as they began started doing things like that, all of a sudden these subsidized housing that were designed for you know white middle class folks are now deemed you know ghetto slums, the projects. Right. And so we've now, we've now misconstrued what you know subsidized housing is and have now have, have now made it so that it's for poor black and brown people. And so right. as you're in this affordable housing, um, I don't want to really call it game, but as you're in this space and as you're working even in a, a, a large metropolitan area where, you know, uh, the, the, the scarcity of housing is so, is so large. How are you working, you know, to try to place people in affordable housing so that
1: they can even, you know, be on this trajectory where they can reach and achieve wholeness? That's that's an excellent question, and uh, sounds like you've been reading *The Color of Law* by uh, Richard Rothstein. I'm
0: almost there, but I have been I have been listening to all of his all of his speeches, because yeah. he's 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 speaking all over the he spoke he spoke all over the world and at, at all different universities, yeah. <laughs> you know, different places. So you know I, I took a listen to a, a lot of what he's saying, and a lot of it is on repeat. But I've listened to it, and I'm like, man, this makes so much sense. But
1: he's in some heavy stuff. Isn't heavy he? stuff for he's sure. In some heavy stuff. Um, so, you know, our, our whole thing has been, particularly in the context where we are, you know, when when I first arrived at Emory, we had a serious homeless problem around the church. And uh, and so our whole effort became around ministry to homeless and, and that became feeding and then it became, how do we house people? And so we, we started housing people in, a, in, in our church building. Um, uh, and we, we partnered with a group in, in town, um, to, to do that. We then renovated a house that we owned and we began to do transitional housing in that house in partnership with uh, uh, groups in the city. And, um, and then our thing was, you know, how do we, how do we move people from homelessness to permanent residency? Uh, and so that was the whole trajectory that then became the Beacon Center, which provides affordable rental housing at 60% of the average median income in DC, which is huge because DC is one of the most expensive cities in the country now because of gentrification. And uh, what we're able to do uh, through a partnership that we've had with the city government is we were able to provide 60% of the average median income uh, for housing. So the average median income in DC is uh, is $120,000 a year. Uh, and so our uh, housing is no more, uh, uh, someone, someone, or someone or a family of four who makes seventy thousand dollars a year or less can live in, in the apartments that we uh, have constructed Lu- luxury apartments, marble tops, nice units, uh, with um, washer and dryer in the unit, so there's no need to go to a laundromat, and, and people are living very, very affordably, which is great. But it just it, it highlights for us the, the size of this issue and it highlights for us how much has to be done in the housing realm. And so now we're even looking at how do we move people from renting to owning mm-hmm. so that we are literally uh, when you talk about a trajectory, we are looking at moving people from homelessness to renting from renting to owning and, mm-hmm. and being able to own. You know, wherever people's income or whatever wherever allows them to go, um, this is a huge housing is a huge issue, and and it's a huge issue that as you've touched upon a little bit when you talk about Levittown and and the GI Bill and and you know the book The Color of Law and and Richard Rothstein and his work, um, so much of our housing industry was built around unfair labor practices, which is why. We had to have the Fair Housing Act, amongst many things. Um, but um, when, when you are literally subsidizing in order for one race to be able to benefit at the detriment of the other, mm-hmm. you are literally you are literally advancing one race and you're setting back another race uh, for decades and decades and decades. And so that's now um, what we're seeing. I, I was uh, driving through a community. Um, not far from home here in Silver Spring, uh, and I was telling Mom, I said, you, you, "I said, you see these houses here?" She said, "Yeah." I said, "These these were the subsidized houses, houses that the federal government subsidized white families to move from the city to the suburbs, uh, and allow them to get up on their feet, get a start. And now white families have, by and large, abandoned these houses and these communities, and with with the equity and the and the financial footing they were able to get from the government doing that, well, they've bought wealthy homes. They've they've been able to save money to give to their kids to buy homes, to give to their kids to go to college, etc. And and people of color in particular, who were locked into renting in many respects, and that that's D.C.'s story. Yeah. Many people were locked into renting, you know, catching up, particularly in an area that has gentrified so much and where the cost of living has skyrocketed is, is, is a real challenge, but that's what we're tackling. How do we move people from homelessness to permanent residency, which may be renting, from renting to home ownership?
0: That's deep. And as you were saying that, I was thinking, I'm saying, you know, okay, well, these white families were able to buy at Baltic and Mediterranean prices where black folks are having to now buy at boardwalk park place prices for the same That's property.
1: That's an excellent way of putting it. That's an excellent way of putting it. When you, when you look at the Monopoly board. And you have to go
0: a full journey around the board before blacks start buying. That's right. That's and, right. And, and, and whites have already purchased.
1: Already been around, already been around the block. Right. You know, it's, and that it's, was my
0: look, I just, I made that up. That was me, by the way.
1: Just oh, that was real good.
0: <laughs> quote me on that when I just thought that's, about that. So that I, is a, I, I ain't get that from a documentary. That was all me.
1: Man, that's a that's a great <laughs> that's, a, that's a great analogy. Okay, and, and then think uh,
0: about it. If, if folks if folks buy Baltic, if, if, if folks are able to buy a boardwalk at Baltic prices, yeah, sell at boardwalk prices. You can now put hotels on any property on the board.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean. You know, to, and, to, and, and,
0: and, and even the prices right next to jail.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, you are exactly right. You, you, if you go into D.C. now and you go go to D.C. jail, they're literally building luxury condominiums right next to the jail, which which sends a message because it says this jail is not going to be here that long. Because if people are going to pay that kind of money for housing, mm-hmm. people are going to say we don't want the jail here. So then, where does the jail go? And so you can begin to see even that kind of change taking place mm. in some regards. For sure. Um, so, so um, you, you know, your analogy of, of 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 the monopoly board and and Baltic and, Medi- and Mediterranean and, and boardwalk is, is 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 right on point. And um, you know, whites have had that advantage. Uh, you, know, you were telling me the other day that you've seen the YouTube piece on the 100-yard uh, race um, mm-hmm. and how, how uh, you know, the, the, the author of that video used the 100-yard uh, dash to show just how much of an advantage whites have been given over people of color in this country. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's the equivalent of, of you talking about you know whites having been around the board uh, at least a couple times before people of color have even had a chance right to right. To, to to do that. Case in point. Um, our church bought a, a house in in the year two thousand, a, a block okay. down the street from us. The house was um, one hundred eight thousand dollars a year a three bedroom, two bath, barely in a yard. People gave us fits. Why are you buying that that? That that little house for that kind of money—that's too much money to spend on that house. Da, 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 da. That house today is seven hundred thousand hmm. dollars. Okay, so people of color, two thousand, hundred eight thousand—we were still in, <laughs> we were in the ballpark to be able to buy that today. A seven hundred thousand dollar house—you begin to minimize who is able to buy that house and who can't, and right. usually those who are able to buy it. At least in the neighborhood where the church is, um, any houses that are going up for sale, and Black folks have been able to hold on to their housing in our neighborhood, but houses that are going up for sale, nine out of ten of those houses are going to white folks because of the difference in the income gap. Uh, yeah. Difference in right in the income gap. It's just not what well, is you know, That's it's not just.
0: But that's the funny thing because it's not even just the income gap. Because if I have to put a down payment on seven hundred thousand right. dollars even three point five percent of that is steep for a lot of people they don't so have that really- kind of cash or closing they i mean all that together that's still a steep i mean that's that's what seven thousand times three right so that's that's twenty one thousand dollars and you haven't even attempted closing or any of the other fees that the, the uh the bank or some lender is gonna is gonna charge you right so really it's the wealth gap not the income right. so the if gap. if someone bought if someone bought at Baltic prices Right, but it can sell on a market for, or it appraises for boardwalk prices. Prices, you can still keep your Baltic property. That's Take it. out equity from there to buy this other property. That's right. And now you're just not you building wealth. Right. And so and so, take me into your
1: classroom. That's right. What away. Be, that's what people of color don't. That's what people of color don't have at the level that white folks have. Right. And it's because of the whole issue of privilege. Right. And and how this country was set up.
0: So let's move into a segment called take me into your classroom. And and I'd like to know now, how do we how do we start from the from the from the 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 starting point now, you have folks who have come to you saying pastor, you know, uh, it's me, my family, we fall into hard times, It's the four of us, I, I, I need to get into a unit, yada, yada, yada. I'm looking to get my finances together because at someday I want to be able to own a property that I could pass on to my kids. I'm 40 something years old. I got a five-year-old. I got a nine-year-old. How do I, how do I get started pastor?
1: Uh, well, the first thing you've got to make up your mind is, is that yes, you want to um, be financially whole. And, and so um, the need to be financially whole uh begins with a desire to want to do so. And so part of that desire has to, has to be educating yourself on how the American financial system operates and uh, your role in that system and your position in that system and things that you need to get together in order to be able to compete in that system. Hmm. And so things like uh, you and I have talked about this week, you know, getting your credit up, getting your credit score strong, your credit report um, uh, in a a healthy place. That's essential for you to be able to operate because people simply want to know, can uh, they depend on you to pay back money that they may issue out to you? If they can't depend on you, you can't get good credit. If they can depend on you, you can get all the credit in the world. You can be Mm -hmm. positioned to be able to make acquisitions, to even rent and other things. But uh, first step is is I've got to learn uh, issues like credit. I've got to understand debt and, and, how, and how debt plays uh, uh, against me. If I'm in debt, I've got to set up uh, a debt retirement process. I've got to look at saving and investing. Uh, I've got to look at uh, establishing a budget and um, following that budget. I've got to be disciplined about my spending. Uh, If I need to get a second job in order to get my financial self better, I need to look at a second job for employment circumstances. It literally starts at those basic levels to begin building. uh, I like to say essentially that each of us are walking corporations. Some of us have a huge corporation. Some of us, it may be a little smaller, but we're we're corporations, and so I've got to get my corporation in order in order for me to be able to compete in the larger arena. So, so from a classroom point of view, son, it begins right there with understanding basic financial uh, uh, practice, financial discipline, uh, and then from there going to understand the American financial system, which you and I know that um the american financial system is based on the stock on the stock market okay you have banks yes you have uh, other other entities in which to make money we know that real estate is still the best uh investment in this country uh amen It's still the best one uh but this country's uh economic system is based on the stock market the understanding and the selling and trading of stocks and bonds and corporations and and the like, and you know, oftentimes uh, our investments stop at the bank, and all the bank does is offer you less than one percent interest, and then they take your money and invest it in the stock market. Some people still think that our money is in the little hut that's the bank, and that and that we just need to go there and get our money. And shucks, every week we put money in, and every week there's a Brinks truck <laughs> that's coming up, taking our money, and that money is going into the stock market and banks are investing and in getting 10, 15, 25% uh, percent return on uh, our dollar.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we need, to,
1: we need to, to learn how to eliminate the middleman and, and begin investing in the stock market ourselves, acquiring property and the like so that we can build the kind of wealth we're talking about. But I've gotta understand how this American financial system works, I've got to stay out of debt. Uh, I've got to understand taxes and tax law and how taxes pay, how taxes play into my uh, economic portfolio, uh, all of that. And so um, from a classroom point of view, I mean, you could teach for years about this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But in in summary, those are kinds of things that that we need to teach our people. Our people need to learn. And so
0: how what's, what's the practical way of now? Cause you know, there's, there's now 99 units of affordable housing that is fully occupied. Right. What is the game plan on taking them and encouraging them to move from renting in this space to ultimately, you know, seeking to, to, to buy a property
1: either, either in the area or in an area where you can afford so our game plan now is to establish a home ownership center, whereby people can come and learn uh, mm-hmm. some of the very things that I just spoke about. Okay. People yeah. can, can learn what's necessary to position themselves to be able to own a home. You know, h- how do you go about building enough wealth for you to have a down payment on a house? Uh, what do you need to do to retire debt? Do you know what it means to put together a budget? Do you know uh, how to invest in stocks, in bonds, in mutual funds, in other uh, avenues that produce a greater return? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Can you, can you, do you understand ways that perhaps you can pool your money with other people who can be trusted so that all of you can, in fact, Benefit from the investments of of small groups. Things like that, um, uh, uh, we hope to teach within a home ownership center that begins allowing people to understand what is necessary to buy a home. And then what goes into buying a home, okay? Where, uh, how how loans are are issued, what mortgages are all about. what it means to own a house, what it means to manage and maintain a house. All of these things uh, we're looking to do within a home ownership center that, that allows people to have a base where they can go, a place of education where they can go mm-hmm. that can help them move to the next level. That's fantastic. And so in,
0: in, in the need for affordable housing, you also have mixed in um, people who have returned from, from prison. Right. And they're among the society. They're, they're, they're working to get jobs. They're working to, you know, you know, find employment, start businesses, possibly go back to school and, uh, you work with people who have been successful in all those things, finding jobs, creating their own business, going back to school and becoming professors and, and telling their story in, in a variety of ways. Um, what ways are you all also tackling, the need to provide housing, the need to provide employment for those who are returning back into
1: uh, society? So one of the main things that we're seeking to do um, is to develop a whole workforce development initiative uh, and partner with other groups that are doing the same. Uh, Part of our Beacon Center project uh, was to create space uh, for a restaurant cafe to be constructed. Um, that we're hoping we can get funding for very soon a finalized funding for very soon uh, But it will be a, a restaurant cafe that will provide culinary arts training for returning citizens um, As you know, uh, as you know, um One of the big challenges, you know, uh, uh when people come out of jail they have a record and mm-hmm. and you know when you have a record it's it's hard to get a job and so how do we provide opportunities for for employment one one uh, um one avenue for that has been through restaurants um uh, mm-hmm. because restaurants often hire uh people who have uh served in uh, served time away and hire them as cooks as chefs as uh waiters sometimes waitresses it's it, it's it's an avenue in which um Returning citizens can find employment. Well, you, you know, we all have to be trained, and we all have to develop skills in whatever vocation we 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 end up working. And so, this provides an avenue uh, for people to be able to get a job uh, and to be able to gain um, job skills and job training to help them get a footing and then take off in whatever areas they want to take off in. Um, so that's one of the things that that we're doing. Um, To try to uh, create a space for returning citizens to to be able to work Um, You touched on something as huge and that is housing for returning citizens Um, You know uh, unless someone uh, coming back uh, From incarceration has a family around who's willing to take them in Mm -hmm. You know once you get out, where do you go? and so a huge need in this country is housing for returning citizens. And so that's something that we're looking at. We, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface on that, but that's another avenue. So. so real quick, if
0: you could take me back into your classroom and just discuss the challenges that you have seen thus far uh, when pursuing projects of this magnitude to try to obtain financing for affordable housing? Um, and what are the gaps that currently exist um, that need to be uh, worked on and that we need to you know, try to find activists and, and different people who are willing to, to, to take on these social entrepreneurial tasks to begin solving these problems and filling these gaps? So,
1: so these, are, these are great questions you're asking. Um, we live in a capitalistic society. Mm-hmm. Um, where commercialism is huge and so everybody is out to make a buck and everybody's out to spend as little money as they can and make as much money as they can and so when you talk about efforts like the one we did with the beacon center and when you talk about projects like developing uh, housing projects for returning citizens and when you talk about setting up businesses for returning citizens to be able to gain skills to be gainfully employed, um, that's counterculture to what our society is set up to do. Our society is set up to capitalize on people, Mm -hmm. not not necessarily helping people. And so from a social entrepreneurship point of view, uh, what is essential is doing the kind of one-on-one relationship building and the kind of community organizing where you're able to, to develop Uh, a critical mass of people who have a common passion around creating opportunity for people who've been disenfranchised, who can partner with people in the private sector and the government sector who also have a heart for this. Because there are many people in the private sector and there are many people in government who want to see that and need to see that people who have uh, been disenfranchised, people who have had hard times or whatever, have opportunity uh, in which to thrive. Because, again, a society is strengthened when everybody in that society uh, has what they need to do the best they can in it. But everybody is torn down if you allow gaps of people to go without having resource, without having skills. That impacts even those who have much. And so uh, the key is making connections with people who share a common vision around this and then working a vision and working a plan and being able to withstand all the forces that work against you Mm -hmm. to try to see that what you're doing doesn't happen. That's great. That's,
0: that's, that's great because I'm, I'm actually reading um, Angela Davis's work. Um, some of the stuff that she actually put together—it's not like her actual book, but it's a—it's a combination of speeches, a couple of interviews in there. And she talks about the dangers of individualism, yes. And how, uh, in particular, Nelson Mandela always hated to be to be viewed as just himself, yes. As this as this you know folk hero, all but because yeah. um, he's like I, I'm not in the struggle by myself, and so yeah. to 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 not to not you know. Um, identify and to acknowledge you know, all my comrades who've been pushing forward with me is to believe that I'm some kind of messiah that has come and done stuff when all of us were just pushing for the common good um, for everybody. And so yeah. what's, the, uh, what's the value that you've seen in partnering and what are the complications in seeking out partners um, who are in it for the common good? as opposed to coming in, because they understand the capitalistic advantages of being a part.
1: That's, that's an excellent question. Let me tackle it in a couple of, in a couple of ways from a classroom point of view. If okay. I can. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Robin D'Angelo, in her book, uh, White Fragility, talks a lot about individualism, and she talks a lot about uh, meritocracy, uh, or, or, or a merit system, and, and that and that uh, white culture is basically established uh, on individualism and on merit, okay? So it's about me, me taking care of me. And if I get to certain places, I merit or I earned or I deserve this, okay? And, mm-hmm. and that's a fragile pl- place to be because um, oftentimes there's not the kind of, community substance in that 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 literally holds us all together Mm -hmm. but but that's that's what white culture is based upon if, if we're in a capitalistic society that by and large is dominated and run by a majority white folks then you have to understand how this individualism and this uh merit system works on the other hand in communities of color uh, there is more of a, a cultural understanding of uh, an African and a West Indian and even Afri- African American concept of I am because we are, okay? Mm-hmm. I am because we are. And So to your point with Mandela, Mandela is like, look, the essence of who I am is based upon what we are. And so if we are not strong, I am not strong. If if we are not strong, I am not strong. And so I need us to be strong so that I can be strong. And so there's more of a community bent uh, in the midst of that. And and, uh, if you look in Jewish communities in particular as well, uh, uh, there's a book I've been reading entitled The Jewish Phenomenon. It's an excellent book by uh, Steven Silbiger. And he literally talks about how it is that Jews amass so much wealth so quickly and have amassed so much wealth so broadly and how Jews uh, run so many of the entities in America and in the world that, that, that control stuff. And a lot of it is because they've had an I am because we are mentality. That has been born out of a history of oppression in many ways, and and they have worked their beliefs into how they function on a daily basis, and it has enabled them to amass great wealth. And so, um, we we have to we have to we have to look at then uh, who can we partner with and who can we organize with, such to where we're moving away from just it being all about me, but how can we benefit? And so in the one-on-one relational building, in the establishment of a critical mass of people, that then gives you the opportunity to leverage opportunity, to leverage thought, to leverage resource that says, okay, we got this, We we have this, we have this problem, We bring this amount of capital to resolve it. We need you to bring this amount of capital so that we can work this thing together. Mm -hmm. Um, That's how we did it with the Beacon Center. We 400 people, $58 million project. We ain't have have $58 million, but what we did was we took the assets that we had. We had land assets, uh, which was the church property, and then we raised in, in our first in, in our, in, in our capital campaigns, we raised $1.4 million, which was a miracle, but 400 people put their mind to it. So we organized capital, we organized people, and that gives you the ability to act, that gives you power. And so we went to the government with $1.4 million in cash and with a property that was worth $7 million, and we said, we want a deal. What will y'all bring to the table? Mm-hmm. And we had the problem of affordable housing. So we had a common problem, and we but we were organized and we leveraged against an entity that needed help. And that then allowed for other monies to come. And so that's how you're able to tackle a lot of these social entrepreneurial projects that you know a, a capitalistic society or a corporate-dominated society doesn't really care about. But if enough individuals with an entrepreneurial uh, spirit within a community uh, gather together, you can leverage a lot for people who don't have.
0: So is there something in saying that people are assets as
1: well and not just competition? Oh, absolutely. People are huge assets. People are the first asset. Okay. Um, I remember going to England two summers ago. Uh, I was a part of a social entrepreneurial project called The Changemakers. I I did it through uh, uh, my denomination and through uh, Wesley Seminary. And I went with a group of young adults. I was a mentor uh, and I had mentees, but we went all around London looking at social entrepreneurial projects that could be done to uplift communities. And so um, we went to communities in London proper and even outside of London proper where people were literally taking the assets in the, in their neighborhood, they were doing, as you know, asset-based uh, uh, community development, mm-hmm. and so they they were taking the assets that they had in the community, which were people assets, uh, property assets, financial assets, and they were looking at what what problems and what struggles did a particular community have, and how could people in that community be organized to resolve it? It, it was it was very interesting how when people assets come together, um, how fewer financial assets you really need in order to address a problem uh, Mm -hmm. in in a local area. But when you have more people assets who come together with with, uh, uh, property assets and have a large amount of financial assets, how how much more you can do uh, for people who are in need. But- um, And that
0: sounds like systemic change. That's systemic change. And not just change at, at a very
1: small local level. That's right. That, that's systemic change. So I, I remember this one community I went to when we were over in, in London, it, it was outside of London. It was, it was uh, a, sub, a subway stop away from Wimbledon. And you know Wimbledon being you know, where, where the tournament is, is played. Wimbledon is actually a town in England and it's a very, very wealthy place. And when, <laughs> when you <laughs> go, to, you know, I, I, I walked, I walked to Wimbledon, and, and obviously, you know, the tournament. We had missed the tournament, I think, by a couple of months, but I just, I, I wanted to see where Wimbledon was played, and it was played in this gorgeous tennis facility that was, bam, dropped into this hugely, greatly wealthy, uh, great, uh, community of wealth. Uh, but where we went. Um, and and for the social entrepreneur project was a, a train stop away, and it, it was not nearly as wealthy. Okay, and and you had, you had people who were trying to figure out how do we build this community, and um, we literally followed um, a lamb slaughtered from the farm to the table. Mm. And it was interesting how many hands went to preparing this lamb for the table and how many people benefited from it. And this this particular group was trying to set up a, a process where uh, people who worked at the farm could be gainfully employed from, from agricultural farming and the raising of animals. Mm-hmm. And, and then how that could then be multiplied in the community and serve the community so uh, and how could it help institutions within the community that were suffering so in particular we went to a church that was dying but what the church did was to begin to use its asset as a building and it literally shaved off the front part of its entrance into the sanctuary and converted it into a a cafe restaurant and so you literally were coming into church, and the first thing you saw was um, a counter to the left where you could purchase sandwiches, where you could purchase lunch, et cetera. You could come and sit down in an open eating area. And so even if you didn't want to eat, you might want a cup of coffee, you might want to do other kinds of things, but they were building community in this space. And then, and then behind uh, a set of chairs and tables was the actual uh, sanctuary. Mm-hmm. But what, what the restaurant was doing was keeping the church alive, because the church was losing members and losing resources to stay alive. What the community was doing was, we need space to gather people to be, have, have have a place to eat in community. And so the two were working together in order to strengthen each other. And so here we were, we. We followed this lamb. We cut the lamb. We chopped the lamb. We prepared the lamb. We, we ended up cooking the lamb, and then we per, we participated in in being waiters and waitresses in serving the lamb. And we could see how money was made and how various assets in the community came together to support themselves. Mm. And that that's the power of social entrepreneurship. And when it's done, it can strengthen any community. It can. It can empower any community. It can, it can liberate even the poorest of communities and make make these communities strong.
0: So then, which, with with what you just said, how do you how do you attack the question and provide some sense of answer for the question that says, "Well, Pastor, what should I be doing right now? How can, how can I help?" Is like especially <coughs> coming from the white community who who feels like they're now, you know. Uh, motivated to do something, but they have no idea what to do? How would you then tackle that that question?
1: Uh, uh, very basically, I always start with, when I talk to people from all races and all walks of life, um, I ask a couple of questions. Number one, um, what do you sense and feel God calling you to do in your life? If, if God showed up and, and, and said, you can do anything you want to do, what would that be? And I do that to try to identify where one's passion is. Mm -hmm. I also asked asked the question, uh, which is the first chapter of one of the books I wrote, uh, Walking with Nehemiah, Your Community is Your Congregation. Uh, I asked the question, um, who does your heart break for? Uh, Because when I know uh, who someone's heart breaks for, then I have a better idea and they have a better idea of Uh, where in community they need to be serving and what they need to be doing. And so when I'm able to get around or get an understanding of someone's heartbreak and someone's passion, that then helps me to be able to figure out where their strengths lie, where their passion lies, where their desire to build and grow something is. And as I'm able to then amass a critical mass of people and I understand where their passions lie and as I'm able to organize people around passion that then enables again for a critical mass to be developed uh, and for people in these particular areas of passion to look at how they use vocation in order to maximize assets and maximize opportunities
0: Hmm.
1: that makes sense yeah well right now we're going
0: to move into our final segment which is called 100 cups of coffee this segment is motivated by the actual idea that i had that i will sit down with 100 people to just have one-on-one relationship building over coffee. Coffee is a great thing. I love coffee. I was able to take my honeymoon to Kauai where they make Kauai coffee. They have an actual coffee farm out there where they do their own coffee. They, they, they get the whole bean, they grind it up. You can have it however, however, which way you want. I did learn that if you have a dark roast, you have less calories. So if you want to um, uh, do it on a diet, you should uh, go ahead and get your dark roast. But this last segment is, 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 uh, I'm looking for sponsors too, y'all. So if anybody wants to sponsor this segment or sponsor the podcast too, that'd be kind of cool. But
1: yeah, I'll I'll
0: sponsor bro. Hey, come through. I got our first sponsor. I got our first sponsor. So this great last segment, 100 cups of coffee. These are just some cool questions that you may be able to ask a friend when you're out uh, just having coffee at your local coffee shop or having coffee on Zoom. As right now we are all socially distant. And so what book are
1: you currently reading? What book am I currently reading? Wow. Well, I also am reading The Color of Law uh, because I I want to delve more into this home ownership piece. Uh, So I've been reading that book. Uh, As I told you, I've I've been reading the book, The Jewish Phenomenon, uh, because I'm really uh, uh, curious about uh, how uh, Jewish people amass such wealth that they um, that they uh, pull together. I just downloaded a, a book entitled *Cane River. *Cane um, River, it's a book by Lalita uh, Tandemi, uh, and it talks about uh, how uh, four uh, women uh, who were slaves ended up coming out of, of, of slavery and, and, and building um, uh, uh, a, a tremendous life for themselves. Um, I'm getting ready to read more James Baldwin books uh, because I believe James Baldwin really speaks to the time we're in now um, as as Americans. Uh, And so I want to read and reread some of his material. And so so in a nutshell, um, that's what I've been reading. Good deal. From all your experiences, from the things that you have personally researched
0: on your own, what book do you have in you right now that you haven't written yet? Oh, (laughs) That's a, good question. <laughs> that's a that's a coffee sip question right there. Yeah, we should take a moment and sip some coffee. Sponsored <laughs> by uh the Reverend
1: Dr. Joseph Daniels. <laughs> that, that, that's a good one right there. That's a good one right there. I I got I got um I got several books in me that I haven't write. I first of all I want to write a book about this Beacon Center experience because I um I believe I can share a lot uh through the Beacon Center experience. So so um uh, just writing a book on how to, how to, how to bring a vision to victory. Um, Good deal. So that's, that's one. Uh, another is a book on call, um, on vision and call. And um, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people are visionaries and then there are those who need to understand what vision is about. How do you again, bring a vision uh, to completion, but, but also call. Okay. A lot of people want to know, what is my purpose? What is, where does my life have meaning? What, what do I need to be doing? So I, I really want to write a book around call. Um, those, are two, those are two books that I know I have in me. I got, I got some more in me too, but uh, I need to get to those two in particular.
0: Well, good deal. We'll have to have you back on as soon as you write, as soon as you go ahead and get that written and getting ready to publish, we'll have to go ahead and continue to market that book. Um, nice what is a quote that has been on your mind lately
1: a quote that has been on my mind uh martin luther king jr injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere gotcha he wrote that in the letter from a birmingham city jail
0: absolutely absolutely okay and so you know what i always used to do um with my coffee's experiences and 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 by the way this coffee experience is is is, is life-changing because um again if, if you think of people as assets right and and yeah. the more assets you want right that's that's where you want to be in, in, in an asset generating type of space and yeah. so if you see people as assets mm-hmm. you'll continue to value uh those around you and want to connect with those around you and so the cool thing about one-on-one relationship building when done right is you don't have to ask anybody for anything and that's always cool because a lot of people are always on guard especially when someone new was trying to meet them they always think there's some kind of pitch or something there that is you know okay you've you've talked me we've done this whole you know whatever thing right what do you want and it's always refreshing to be able to meet people at the space where you don't need or want anything. Right. Or even, or or and you're not trying to sell anything. You just right. have the intention of to wanting up. to have conversation, to meet a sister, to meet a brother, yep. um, and, to, and to continue to build that asset category when it comes to all the folks that you have in your community. So with that being said, how do we uh, build the next asset in the BCTL uh, uh, family on this podcast? Is there somebody that you would recommend uh, that should be on this podcast to continue to to grow with us, to build with us and provide great information for this journey that we are on.
1: I think you ought to talk to somebody who you have met, um, who I happened to talk to yesterday mm-hmm. uh, for another matter, but I think you ought to talk to Dr. Randall Pinkett. Okay. Dr. Randall Pinkett is uh, I, I, I think he's got tremendous experience uh, not just in social entrepreneurship, but just in in uh, minority business and and creating opportunity and capital for Black folks in a predominantly white culture. Um, he is chairman and CEO of his own company called BCT Partners, and I believe they have they have now cracked the Black Enterprise 100 top companies. And, uh, I think he would be a great person for you to interview. He was just on MSNBC the other night being interviewed uh, by Joy Reid. And so, um, I think he would be perfect for this. That would be
0: great. And so perfectly, our first sponsor can hook that up and we could be bringing on good Dr. Randall Pinkett, uh, here soon. So is there any last words that you would like to close us out with? This is our, uh, our, absolute final segment where we just allow our guests to uh, provide some words of encouragement um, and just continue to provide positive energy into the community.
1: I just want to pour back into you, son, for a moment. I think the fact that you are doing this kind of work at 29 years of age uh, is a testament not only to you and the work that you're doing, but is a testament to to your generation that is seeing the need to, to take the baton of leadership and really uh, run with working to see that efforts such as this are expanded uh, in great and wonderful ways. And so I want to encourage you to continue doing what you're doing, to continue making the connections in community, to continue bringing your expertise in engineering and real estate and and other other areas and and partnering with people such to build community through love and to build community uh, that uh, provides resource and opportunity um, and wealth uh, for people at the bottom of the ladder and people who, who really uh, can benefit from the kind of work that you are doing. Uh, and that can benefit for those who are doing pretty well because those who are doing well, I, I believe most people in corporations get to a point within a corporation and they're like, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, and I'm making all this money, but for what? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's almost like um, their souls become convicted that there's something they need to be doing more for people. And so my hope is that, that you would continue this work to raise the consciousness of, of needing to build systems of equity in this country where everybody can have access to what they need in order to live a great life. I think what you're doing is fantastic. Keep it up, my brother, my son. I am praying for you, and uh, I wish all of God's blessings on you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love you, Pops. There you have it. Thanks for being Good. on
0: again, episode 10, rock star episode. And uh, we will see you once you get that book read, um, as soon as you write that book. So go ahead and write that book. We'll get on it, man. Get and on. we'll have you on again.
1: Thanks, doc. Love you. Love you a lot, man. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Love you too.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode on the build community through love podcast, subscribe on all platforms to stay up to date with new episodes. Also stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at build community through love and visit our website at build community through love.com. Let's keep working y'all. And if someone asks, tell them we're building.